the flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by North Dakota Tourism, Waltons, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, Federal Ammunition, and by Onyx Hunt. My guest today is Katie Willis. If you're an Instagrammer, you might know her as Traveling Pup. Katie's journey through the upland world is full of highs, lows, and lessons learned. If you've talked to Katie in person, then you also know that we're all about to be entertained. It's time to start planning your next bird hunt. If you've listened to this podcast for any time at all, then you know where I'm about to send you. That's to North Dakota. Why? Well, it's one of the greatest places on earth to watch a bird dog in the field. That's why. In North Dakota, you can experience a waterfall hunt during the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt all in the same day. I've done it many times. That's why I know it's true. Plus, this year, the spring pheasant crowing counts were up 30% from last year, and the weather has been looking good for a strong hatch. Water levels are up way up, which means the total number of wetlands are up too, 76% above the long-term average, and that means more ducks and geese. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year, 39% above the long-term average at 3.4 million. All of this means more pheasants than last year, more ducks than last year, and I'm hearing excellent reports about the sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge too. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I am Travis Frank. I am your host, Brandon Morton, as always, is our producer. Before we jump into the episode today and, and bring our guests into the show, I do want to mention our last show, we announced that Hank Hunt number three is back. This is an opportunity for you to hunt with us and be on the Flush Television show. The hunt will take place this winter down in West Point, Mississippi. We're going on a quail hunt down at Mr. Jimmy Bryan's farm. It's called Prairie Wildlife. It's a beautiful lodge down in Mississippi. And again, uh, very limited amount of space for this. I believe, I think we have two spots remaining to join us down there. And again, you're going to leave with a dog life membership to Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever. And all the money that we raise from this hunt We'll go right back into Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's Build a Wildlife Habitat campaign. So head to prairiewildlife.com to learn more about that hunt. If you are interested in joining us, I will be down there on that hunt. And I cannot wait for that experience and hunt with you. Also, just a reminder that our television episodes are airing now on the Outdoor Channel we are on week three of the new season, and this week is currently part two of my Alaska ptarmigan hunting adventure. It's an episode that I'll always remember, and I feel like we were able to capture the raw adventure that we experienced. 
Um, also, if you watch that show and want to learn more about going on your own adventure like that in Alaska, uh, while there, we recorded a podcast with Eric Locker and Evan Withrow, the two young hunters that I hunted with. Since we left, Eric has joined the official guide team at All Alaska Outdoors. That was the float plane uh, that we Bob Letta flew us into a lake up in the mountains. He owns All Alaska Outdoors. He became friends with Eric. Eric has, as you saw on TV, amazing bird dog. And now uh, we'll be taking hunters along to some of those amazing, amazing places. I've had a, quite a few people reach out. I've sent them to Eric. I would send you to Eric in a second because he's just one of those guys that you would love to spend a day hunting with. He's quickly became a friend of mine and he just loves to show people the amazing places that exist in Alaska and the ptarmigan hunting is world-class up there. You'll love it if you go. Uh, all right, let's get to our guest today. Katie Willis, thanks for listening to me babble there for a little bit and for <laughs> making time to join us on the podcast this week. Where exactly are you right now? Um, I am in the parking lot of a Catholic church in um, Pendleton, Oregon, land of Woolens whiskey and a big ass roundup. Um, but uh, <laughs> well, okay, had, to get, so... had to get a little had to get a little work done on my on our house. Uh, Proud Mary, the camper. Um, you know, we put about 20,000 miles on her since I picked her up in September. And so she just, you know, she needed a little love and this is the place to get it done. So that's how we're in Pendleton this morning. So where is your actual home address if if uh, you had to claim one? Uh, if you need to, like, uh, I just got a text message from my mom um, because I left a sock in someone's washing machine. And so if you need to send me a sock that I left in your washing machine, you can send it to my mom's house. Um, okay. But other than that, I, I, am, I am homeless. I am without home. Gotcha. Well, that's so, that's not entirely true. What what's the name of your home that travels with you? Uh, Proud Mary. Well, it's the Wild Hair Express, but that's the combination of Proud Mary, the camper, and Big Mavis, the pickup truck. So gotcha. when they're con- right. when they're connected, it's the Wild Hair Express. When they're disconnected, <laughs> they're Big Mavis and Proud Mary. But you're pretty much always connected, right? Well, yeah. I mean, but. Like I, what I love to do is go places and like park up for a while. And so I've put a lot more miles on Mavis than I have on proud Mary this year. Um, but yeah, we're, uh, we're definitely like pretty much everything I own is in this pickup truck and that camper with the exception of a couple items I left in a storage shed at my mom's house. Gotcha. Where did you grow up? I grew up, um, in Montana mostly. So just outside of Missoula, um, in a little place called the Upper Nine Mile Valley. If anybody gets that reference there, uh, there's, there's, there's just a handful of folks that would know that, I think. But, and you spent yeah. some time as a, as a guide on the river out there? No, I never guided in Montana. I, um, I ended up in Oregon in my early 20s, and that's where I river guided. So I river guided in Oregon and Idaho um, through my 20s. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, what's that? I was going to say, why would you ever leave that part of Montana? You know, it's interesting. People ask me that all the time. Um, and also like why I haven't moved back to Montana yet. Um, and I think I, I had to leave, um, to, to kind of, to get, to get 
myself together, you know, like I needed to, I wanted to see more stuff and I wanted to go more places. I never planned on being in Oregon as long as I have been. Um, but I'll tell you, this is a hell of a state. It's real nice here. Um, and then like, I always want to go back to Montana, but I never want to leave Montana again. And I'm not sure that I'm ready to put down that kind of set of roots, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so you're living life on the road. How long have you been on the road now? Um, since September. Okay. Are you so, comfortable yeah. sharing why you picked up and hit the road? Well, there's, there's a whole pile of reasons. Um, I had not, I had not been happy with the life I was living for probably the last four or five years. Um, I went, I didn't start, I didn't go to college until later in life. And then I kind of, it's the only decision I've ever made based primarily on money. And I went to school and I got my bachelor's degree. I got my master's degree and I started a career and it just kind of wasn't like I had in order to complete seven years of my education, I'd kind of had to sell myself on the idea of what life would look like on the other side of it. And, um, turns out that life on the other side of it didn't really look like what I had imagined it. And it wasn't really fulfilling me the way that I thought it would. And, you know, it's sort of like for the first time I was like, okay, well let's settle down. Let's buy a house. We'll have a career. We'll do all of the things that everybody does. And, um, and I'd done that and it was good. And then I had finally, after a long time, met a person that I wanted to make future plans with, um, and so Ben and I had, you know, kind of made some plans and, and I'd actually tried to convince him to pick up and leave where we lived in Bend and, and he just couldn't, he had some other, other commitments. And, uh, so for the first time in my life, I sort of agreed to manipulate my life around, well, not manipulate, but arrange my life around somebody else's life. And, um, and then March 31, a year ago, um, Benny died. And it just was kind of like in that period of time after that, that kind of big smack in the face where I was like, man, if you're not leaving, leading the life that you want to live, then, then you got to do something different because it is, but a precious, short, beautiful experience, this life that we get to live. And, and you really just, I at least feel like I just really needed to, 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 to shake everything up, to cast everything off so that I could really find what it is that makes me happy and like really find where I feel like I'm, like I'm of value and I'm, and I'm giving back to this life that I get to have. Um, and so, yeah, so sold everything and took off just like that. So you and Ben were, were set to be married, right? You guys were engaged well, I mean, that's, that's sort of an interesting topic. Cause he asked, and I said, no, which <laughs> like, you know, and then in all honesty, like we weren't in a really great place when he passed away. Um, hmm. I had hurt my knee and I was really grouchy and I had, um, sort of had enough of everything and, and, and we had, we had separated and I had all of the confidence in the world. Like, like after I broke up with him, I was like, nope we're definitely going to get back together. Like we're definitely going to get back together. We had started texting. We were making plans. I had knee surgery on the 18th of March. 
like he had called me, he's like, let's go out training. And I was like, dude, I just had the surgery. And he's like, okay, well, let's, you know, tell me when you're back on your feet. And so I just kind of had this feeling that we were gonna, you know, that we were just going to be back together again. And then, you know, he passed away. And I think that that's, um, man, that, that really chewed on me and still chews on me. Um, you know, with just that, like, uh, time is an interesting thing. And I feel like we fool ourselves with it. You know, we have a calendar and a clock and we convince ourselves that we can make time, save time, um, you know, all of those sorts of things. And, and time is not something we have any sort of charge or providence over. And Mm -hmm. I thought I had more time and you know what? You just can't, you cannot count on time, man. Like if there's something you need to do, if there's something you need to say, you, you better say it, you know, like, right. cause it just, man, it got me. Well, so at that time you were living where? I lived in Bend, Oregon. So Bend, okay. yeah. Gotcha. Central, Central Oregon. Yeah. Okay. And bird hunting has been a, a big part of your life for how long? Well, my, my first ever bird dog is, is, is approaching 15. And so, um, it started a little bit before then I grew up big game hunting in Montana. We never bird hunted. Um, and then I moved to Oregon and I was running around on rivers and hanging out with fly fishing guides and fishing and doing all that sort of stuff. And I got introduced to bird hunting and it just was so much more accessible in Oregon. They've got a pretty tight draw system here and big game hunting opportunities are kind of few and far between. And so the idea of being able to hunt from September to January, um, was, was really interesting. And then I've just always really, I've always had a dog. I've always loved dogs. So being able to have a dog with me was, um, definitely a big draw. And so, yeah, my, my first bird dog, um, is 15 and that's, you know, and I hit it pretty hard there in the beginning. And then during college and, uh, grad school, I didn't do as much. And so then it's really just been the last three, four years that I've been like back in it and have made it a real, you know, priority for my time. So what, what, what dog got you into it? What was the breed and the name of that first dog? Well, the first dog that I have or the first dog that I hunted over where I was like, hot damn, this is amazing. (laughs) The first hot damn moment you had. Oh, dude, my buddy Drake had this black lab named Gunny. Holy shit, that dog, man. He was... (laughs) He just, I mean, he just, we were out, you know, we were out in this waterfowl area and shooting geese and shooting ducks. Well, I should say I was shooting at him. I wasn't hitting much. Um, And Gunny was just, I mean, he just was a glory to behold. I loved that dog. Um... And so that's, you know, so I started there. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get me a Labrador. Oh, I'm gonna get me a Labrador. And then I went out chucker hunting with a dude without a dog. And I was like, this is A, awesome and B, stupid. Like, what are we doing out here? Like, <laughs> we need like, a I dog mean, it's here. Cool. I was like, yeah. it's cool. But I was like, I was like, I was like, is there, is there like as good as Gunny was on the ducks? Is there an equivalent, right? Like, like what could we bring into this picture? And, um, and that got me tripping down the versatile, you know, the sort of versatile, um, dog, dog train. And, um, 
And that's, that's what I run now is, so I have, I have had, and don't ever anticipate not having German wire hair pointers, um, or German wild hairs as I prefer to call them. Wild hair. Yes. (laughs) Where did you, where did you get your dog from? Which kennel? Um, I lucked out and, uh, I got my dog from a guy named Kelly Jobs at Bone Point Kennels in Baker City. Um, and I'm super, um, glad that A, he sold me a dog, uh, cause I have asked him since I'm like, man, why'd you sell me that dog? Cause like I had zero hunting or dog training experience and he breeds some pretty hot wire hairs. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know why I sold you that dog. Cause I just, I can't, I can't believe it worked out. And like, now I count him as like probably one of my, one of my closest friends and which is good because, uh, he's, uh, He's, he's been very um, willing to lend me dog power because I definitely needed it this last year. <laughs> well, you, know, you to, and I talked to do this that. spring. We talked about kind of like getting thrown in to the dog training world with a dog that tests you in every possible way. Oh, man. And, we, and we've had similar dogs, really. I mean, from puppy yeah. to... Uh, but now, I mean you've learned so much because you had such a high-powered machine out there that has really kind of shaped the dog handler that you are today, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt, like, um, just my first bird bird dog, well, his original name's Colt, but he's just such a bird dog. We just called him bird dog. It's just what his name is. But, like, he was so damn smart. Like, he just was so smart and he just outthought me at every single turn and he really pushed me around and um I just I really had to um I really had to learn and I was super fortunate my um my first ever like training hunting mentor partner was a woman by the name of Melissa Hers and she ran a kennel outside of Bend and I was, he was about nine months old when I was like, Oh man, I'm screwed. Right. Like I just couldn't, I I just, he just was all the drive in the world and no direction. And he knew he had me buffaloed. Um, and, uh, so I just went out there and I was like, Hey, can, can I clean your coops, set pigeons? I was like, I just want to see what you're doing. And, and she really literally took me under her wing and I trained with her for like two years before I left, left for grad school. And, you know, I was out there four or five days a week. And that's, I will say, is really interesting, you know, to have an opportunity to not only train my dog with someone who's a dog trainer, but mm-hmm. she let me participate with all of the dogs she was training. So she'd have anywhere from six to nine dogs in for training, plus a personal dog or two. And so when we went out and worked, we'd set up some sort of scenario and we'd run, you know, a dozen dogs through it. And really being able to watch, like, how each of the dogs approached it, the places that they stumbled, the way that they took the information, the way they handled corrections. Like that to me is so cool. Like if you get a chance to do that, that's so cool just to like yeah. have- Just to, just you know, to, to watch, see. just to see somebody oh, yeah. with, con- with confidence and how they react oh, yeah. to the dog's actions and then in turn- help teach that dog. That's where there's, there's so much value to one-on-one time in the field watching. You don't have to say anything. You can just watch and then you can ask questions. Like I always ask questions like, why did you do that? Or what? If you just ask why and what those two words will get you so far in dog training that 
uh, somebody <laughs> with that kind of experience can they just speak to yeah it? they can tell you what the dog oh, yeah. is going to do next probably oh yeah and they're usually oh, right oh yeah oh, well that's i think awesome. that's my best my my best friend john has this thing that he does whenever he meets somebody new um and he asks like what are the three qualities you look for in a human being and then he'll he'll ask what are the three qualities you like best in yourself and um it's such a great little mind think and he's asked me multiple times in the course of our friendship and it's changed a little bit but the one thing that i always look for in somebody and like best about myself is curiosity and what you can what you can access with a sense of curiosity and like like wanting to learn is astounding, man. It is absolutely astounding. You know, it's so oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah, for sure. So cool. So can you go back to that first uh, dog that just about broke you? And what <laughs> what was that dog doing? And then how did you get through it? You know, he just was super smart. And um, he was, he's, he was very independent. He still is really independent. Um, and so he just like, you'd show him something. I'd be like, this is what we're going to do. And he'd be like, cool, I got it. And then anywhere from the next 20 to 300 times, he would do it, but slightly off what it was that you asked him to do. And he was basically requiring me to be accountable all the time. Because the second that he did something sort of half-assed or not exactly the way that I asked him to, then he was like, sweet, scot-free, I'm in charge. And so <laughs> he was it a was this sort of, then. He was, he was trying he, to take charge. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, it was this kind of constant, like, it was this kind of constant battle. And it's interesting because, like, I think back now um, that I've learned what I always learned. And I used to say that I was really glad that I force-fetched him. Because that's really where we came to, like, that was, it was brutally hard. Um, and it was a really long process of the two of us basically being in opposition all the time until I finally gutted it out and proved that I was st more stubborn than he was. And then he, he finally relented. gave in. He finally gave in. And it's interesting because I used to always hold that as like something that, that I was like, yeah, I'm glad I did that. I out stubborn that dog. But what I've learned recently, and like, especially when you and I were together at that method training, yep. is I actually created unnecessary barriers to that dog wanting to join with me. And do you, there's do you a think better it was resent, resentment on the dog's part? Yeah, I think I think I I think I I think I fomented resentment in him because he he was independent, he wasn't unwilling. And so when I pinched the shit out of that ear and he, he, I think he became resentful. And then I had to like, I built something that then I had to dismantle in order for us to get along together as opposed to getting him ready to learn, getting him in a place that he wanted to learn and getting him to come with me and, and, and being like, I've even, I mean, I'm training gravy right now for the invitational and I haven't put an e-collar on him since we were together back in May. At Sunny's Place? Because I just have, at Sunny's Place, because I've just found 
that I don't need it. Because if I do what I'm supposed to be doing and I am clear and I'm consistent, gravy always will do it right. And anytime I ask him to do something and he doesn't do it exactly how I wanted to, what I've learned is that that's my mistake. I have not set him up to succeed because this is a dog that wants to succeed. If we go to that invitational and gravy doesn't get and doesn't pass, it will not be on him. It is a hundred percent on me because he is so willing. He wants to work. He's willing to work. He wants to get birds. He wants to be part of the team. And so it's like, you know, those, some of those, like those, in, you get kind of almost like, I don't want to say instant gratification because it shouldn't ever be gratifying to put electricity on your dog or to put a harsh correction on your jo- dog, but you get an instant response and you feel like you won. And I just have learned that that's not true. Like it's patience, man. And it's like mm-hmm. getting that dog really set up. But yeah, I haven't put an e-collar on him. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to use it as a crutch. Like, like it's on me, man. If I ask him to do something and he doesn't get it done, then I have to stop, look at the setup and figure out where I let him down. Okay. So let's go there. Where, Where are you at with the training on that dog? How old is he now? He's two. So he okay. was, he's, two, he'll be three in December. Okay. And how, how much hunting have you done with him? <laughs> well, he probably got 50 days his first season. Okay. And I bet you I hunted him 80 or 90 this year. Okay. Um, so, and, yeah. And where, so, where, <laughs> what are you working on then with that dog? Because <laughs> most people don't, like, they, they might go 10 days in a season. Maybe they'll do two yeah. hunting trips, maybe a weekend, something like that. Um, you know, so you've already got more than that on dog, but you're, you're talking about like, you're, you're taking that dog to the finish level, you know, the finish stage. And what are you working on to get him to that point right now? Well, right now, and this has been really interesting. I haven't done a lot of retriever stuff. Like I would like to be more of a duck hunter, but I just haven't, I didn't live in a place that had duck hunting. And now Um, my current lifestyle is a little, um, giant bag of decoys prohibitive. Um, uh, (laughs) you got to put them on top of the camper. I know, dude, I got to come up with something. I got to like get like some inflatable decoys that I like blow up the night before or something. I don't know. But, um, you just need one bag and a spinning wing. That's all you really need. Right. Right. Exactly. And to learn how to quack. Um, and so, uh, so a lot of the, the retriever stuff, like, um, the, for those that aren't familiar with it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the NAVDA invitational in September and there's a huge portion of that where it's water work. And so he has to do a double mark retrieve and he has to do a hundred yard blind. And so teaching him that blind work has been sort of the, the hardest for me to learn and, and how to, how to get him going and get him confidently moving out when there's not a mark per se, where there's not a, 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 you know, where he didn't see the bird fall. Um, and I know he can do it. Like he did a 500 yard blind retrieve on a trucker I sailed this year. So I know he can do it. It's just getting that like really consistent so that I can walk up to, we can walk up to any chunk of water and I can tap him on the head and send him, you know, more or less in a straight line across. And that's, yeah, that's been, that's been interesting. And that's been, um, hard for me to sort of figure out how to, 
how to do it. And he's so willing that sometimes he tricks me into thinking that we're farther along. And then that's when I've realized like I moved to some other piece of water or some bigger piece of water and he doesn't, he doesn't get done what he should be getting done. And I'm like, hmm, how do, I didn't set him up right. I didn't do this right. Um, and it's, it's made me be a lot more patient to, to get there. So, yeah. It, it sounds like you're digging in a decoy bag right now. Is it, did you find the decoys you've been looking for? <laughs> <laughs> or was it the wind? Oh, it could have been the wind. Oh, oh, the wind. Yeah. No, well, I'm saying it is the windy here in Pendleton. It is, it is windy gotcha. and I'm sitting, it's like 77 degrees and I'm sitting here with the dogs and the windows down. So sorry, oh. sorry for the noise. No, I can repeat any of that if you want me to. No, it's all good. It's fine. We, we caught that. So that's interesting to me, the the training being that you're working on the, the duck hunting side, the blind retrieves. That's not something that I really have to deal with or that I yeah. choose to deal with with my dog. It's it's all pointing. It's all yeah. go with me, stand still. And fortunately, Daisy naturally wants to go and retrieve everything that I shoot and hunts yeah. like crazy to find it. So we've made it very simple, you know, find it. That's her command. And she will continue nose down doing circles and circles until she finds whatever it is that we're looking for. And then she brings it back. And then, you know, like she will bring it to me one time. You know, people think that if I throw it back out for the camera, like the cameraman will say, hey, can you, I I didn't get the retreat. I said, sorry, you don't get another chance. She will not bring it back again. Like if it's a tennis ball and I throw it out on the lake, yes, but not a bird. She'll bring it one time. That's it. But, That's you know, it. for you working on all these different parts for the NAVDA uh, Invitational, you know, that blind retrieve, how much time do you spend on that kind of training with your dog, the retrieving side of it versus working with the dog to be steady for the upland side of it? Because I think you, you know, like you said, you do majority upland bird hunting. Yeah, I mean... Gravy's solid gold when the field. Now I jinx myself, right? Because the wheels will come off the bus at the invitational now. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think you can't, I don't think you can overstate how important that first season is. Um, and so Gravy had probably, yeah, close to 50 days of upland hunting um, his first, you know, his first year. And um, I, that was the year I got to spend with Ben. And he had this fantastic short hair um, named Bernadine, who was just a machine. And so um, he got to work behind a really exceptional dog. And so one of the things most folks really struggle with in the invitational is backing because you get it, you run for an hour long brace and you've got to back, you've got to honor, you've got to, you've got to work with another dog. And so gravy has naturally backed since he was a puppy because he never could get a covey find before Bernie, (laughs) you know? Right. So like, so he had a ton of experience, um, in that realm. And then I've hunted him with a lot of other dogs. And so he's got a, he's really good that way as far as backing. And then he just is, the most honest dog. He's just honest. And I was joke, like if you told gravy, good boys lit their ears on fire, he'd be like, hand me that Beck man. Like let's light it up. He just, he really wants to, to do well. And so it didn't take a whole lot to teach him to wait and to, 
to honor retrieves and to do that kind of work in the field. Um, and again, like I said, I'll probably jinx myself now that I said that that feels good. I'm still running him in braces and running him solo, um, on birds, um, for the field portion, just to kind of keep it, you know, keep it clean. He also really loves it. And so I think, you know, as you, as you hammer through training with your dog, you better make sure that they don't forget why it is that they like to hang out with you. (laughs) (laughs) How do you keep your dogs wanting to hang out with you then? What's your, what do you recommend? Pocket full of bacon. Yeah. Um, A lot of treats. (laughs) No, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, you got to make sure that they're getting, you know, you got to make sure that they're getting their needs satisfied, you know? And so like, uh, gravy, gravy loves to fetch birds. He absolutely loves to fetch birds. So I need to shoot him for him, you know, uh, and, and get him out there and, and the, and run just almost like, like a utility run where it's just me and him. And we just go out there, we plant some, plant some birds and, and let him point and shoot and retrieve with nobody else around, just the two of us. Um, so that he's like, yeah, boss, I like it. It's good. I'm, I'm here with you. Um, well, he been- also does really like to show off, which is funny. Like you give him an audience and gravy sort of like, Oh yeah, you guys want to show as the great show. <laughs> I <laughs> Launch love the dogs. I like to show off. That, those are the best. Yeah. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own Maps, apps, ways, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public. The landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Uh, so you've been, obviously, we were at that the Method uh, training seminar yeah, with yeah, Sunny yeah. P. Cars and Jordan Wells. And you talked about, you and I, um, off to the side, we were talking about dog training seminars and you've been to other ones as well. What, yeah. what has really stood out to you about, and obviously with Melissa, you know, your mentor, Working with professional dog trainers like that, what has really stood out to you that all those trainers possess that help them 
communicate with a dog? Is it patience? Is it calmness? What what is it that you've taken out of all those different seminars? Well, I mean, you hit it you hit it on the head. Like just um just being really calm and being really patient and being very clear, like having a very clear idea of what you want to do. And then really it's the kiss principle. Like you got to keep it simple, stupid, you know, um, I've, you know, I've, in addition to training with professional trainers, like I've been to a lot of NAFTA training days. I've trained with a lot of other people. And like, even Ben and I, when we first started hanging out together, we were not, we did not date for a period of time. Um, and we were just training dogs together because, you know, he was a big upland hunter. And so we were just training dogs and he'd set up these scenarios, man. And he'd be like, and then we're going to go like this. And then we're going to go like this. And we're going to go like this. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? And he'd be like, yeah, like this. And he'd explain it to me. And I'm like, dude, this is too complicated. Like I can't follow what you want to do in this training scenario. And so I sure I don't think Bernie's going to be able to follow along. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, and so it's, it is, it's that like really coming back to, you know, like building on foundation, you know, and I think a lot of people, it is interesting, um, you know, you go to these training weekends and the training seminars and the people who are teaching really want to show you like a bunch of different steps. And then people go out and do those steps, but they don't spend enough time on each step. And so I think you get into a lot of trouble skipping steps and not really getting that foundation super, super solid. And I say that as someone who has skipped steps and then been like, okay, you know what? Mm -hmm. I've got to, I've got to spool it back in and I actually need to go back to before where I thought I was and come back through this again because I missed something here in the middle because the dog isn't, they're not, they're obviously not ready to go forward. Because right. as soon as we go forward, they're getting confused, they're dropping the bumper, they're braking, they're doing whatever. And so I would say that, like, if I could give one piece of advice to anybody, um, is just go really slow and be really patient. Like, it, it's hard not to, and, and I, it's not like... It's not like I don't sometimes often frequently get a bit of my own ego involved in my dog. Um, but I think that it's, it, you know, there, sometimes we get a little bit, I don't know, let's say competitive about like how great my dog is and I want to have the best dog. And, and just don't set, like, don't set yourself up against somebody else and, and try to just keep it at the dog's own pace. You know, like mm-hmm. Gravy is really young. He's really young. There's plenty of people that would say, don't take him to the invitational. He's too young. And I even said, when I started this and I was like, okay, dude, because the day that I got the invitation, the email that said, you can come to the invitational. I picked up that email. I was in Oregon and I looked at it and I looked at gravy and I was like, do you want to do this dude? Like, cause this is a lot of work. And then we went chucker hunting and that's when he had that 500 yard blind retrieve for me mm. on this chuck. I mean, it was amazing. Like he You're went like, on yeah, point. Dude, on- we're, we're in, we're in, we're doing yeah, this. Dude, he went on point up on this cliff and I had to like scramble, like I should have been roped up, like to come around the corner under this cliff. And he had just caught the barest, barest little chunk of updraft. I don't even know how he knew those birds were there because they were probably 30, 40 yards below him under a cliff band. 
in this pile of rocks and they got up out of those rocks and I caught one swinging left to right and dumped it, but it sailed all the way to the bottom. I mean, all the way to the bottom. And he came around, he had seen none of it from where he was on point. He couldn't see the birds get up. He didn't see me drop a bird. And then I just had to like kind of work him down this draw because I was like, I am, there is no way I'm going all the way down there. Like, if I get down to the bottom of that draw, we're done hunting for the day because it was, I mean, it was like, I have a video of him. It took him two and a half minutes from the moment he picked up that bird to get back to me. That's how steep and wow. long it was. That's and how so awesome could, dogs are. Dogs right? are just the best. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm like. I'm like, chugger hunting without a dog? Are you insane? Right. And he brought that he brought that bird back to me. And I was like, oh, baby. I was like, I told you you need to get serious if you want to go invitational. This looks pretty damn serious to me. Um, that is and, so great. You know, and I said that all the ways. I was like, I was like, I'll I'll lose the four hundred buck entry fee if at any point in time he starts acting like he doesn't like it, or we start not getting along. Because I just feel like this is the other thing. Like I think run tests, run trials, do all that sort of stuff because it's a really great way to train. It's a great way to build a bond with your dog. Mm -hmm. But like, it's like I'm heading out to Ohio, and I was at this invitational. I was back in Minnesota for the invitational clinic, and. They were the guys who were putting it on were like, oh yeah. And it was like, that's a long drive. And I was like, yeah, but it's cool because I'm gonna stop in like in Montana and I'm gonna shoot some sharp tail. And they were like, You're gonna go hunting before you go to the invitational. And I'm like, Yeah. And they're like, that's crazy. People will tell you that's crazy. Like you should polish that dog for the invitational and then do nothing until they run. And I'm like, dude, if there is something about hunting that screws up my dog so that they can't pass the invitational, then what the hell am I doing here? Because yeah. I'll tell you, that is not the reason I have a dog is so that we can like put letters and numbers behind his name. Like I have a dog so I can hunt my ass off every mm -hmm. damn day. <laughs> and you've done that. And you've done that. So since last, <laughs> since last September, well, first of all, I, I want to get into kind of like where you've all traveled and hunted because we're at a time of the season where a lot of people are planning for this coming season. So we can talk into some really great destinations. But first, you mentioned <laughs> something a, a couple minutes ago here. Um, about people wanting to skip the the stages and go to the next one, the next one, yeah. the next one. Sometimes, like when you get a dog to stand still, that's that's your celebration moment. That's yeah. it for the day. You know, like yeah, that don't go to the next step. Don't worry about getting to the birds yeah. right away. And just be grateful that you got your dog to that <laughs> spot. And now yeah. that's it. That's it for the day. Yeah. And take yeah. a break. Come back and do that again later. And then do it again tomorrow. Yeah. In the next day, yeah. and then slowly go to that next step. That's what I learned. I was like, okay, you're done here. Let's go to this one. Okay, you got that. Let's go to this one. And no. it's too much. It's just too much. And then the dog yeah. makes a mistake. Pretty soon, I'm cursing out there like Katie Willis in the field, dropping <laughs> F-bombs on my dog. I'm like, what am hey, I doing I here? Because I'm I swear, I, I swear a lot telling stories, but I do not swear at my dogs. I do not I don't swear at my dogs. A second. Not once. No, I, I try. Well, I have in the past, but this is the new and improved Katie Willis that oh, does not swear sure. at dogs. Yeah, well, I, I haven't <laughs> never sworn to mine either then. Ever. It's new and improved me. Oh my God. Oh my God. Everybody listening right now knows exactly what we're talking about. They're like, oh gosh, I've been there. You know, the frustration. But it's you said it. You, you said it exactly correct. It's our mistake that we made to get the yeah. dog to that point. 
you know. And yeah. I, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm putting a little bit on my dog because she, yeah, she. I had to, I had to get some of those behaviors out of her. You know, flushing birds 500 yards away. That's not cool. I don't like that. That's not. But, that's 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 a good time. That's a girl that likes to party. Oh, she that's likes to party. Is. Yeah, they you like would have party. enjoyed. Yes, yes, very much. She likes to party. <laughs> Ain't no party like a bird dog party because <laughs> a bird dog party don't quit, man. Yes. Okay, so where have oh. you? Where did you hunt last year? I hunted. Um, I hunted ten states. Well, I shouldn't say I hunted. I got to hunt eleven if you count tur- my my um, unsuccessful turkey season in Minnesota. <laughs> but you didn't um, get a turkey here. What the heck? No, I didn't. I didn't. I had some close calls. Holy cow! Holy cow, man! I got to go out with Renee Tamala, Renee, the total package Tamala. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she talked a gobbler into me for two hours. <laughs> I got, I mean, it was my, the, the hair on my arms is standing up right now. Remembering this, like, oh my God, I have never been in a relationship with a creature like that before. It was <laughs> holy <laughs> dude. Like, like, I mean, I've, I, I've been around bugling elk. Um, I've spot and stalked deer. I've obviously worked birds where the dog's been on point and the birds are moving and everything like that. But to be tied by a gossamer thread to a wild creature for two hours talking, Renee clucking, and where I was at, I could see him. Unfortunately, I think he could see me too because there's the, I did not get him and I did not deserve to get him. He was far too smart for me. Um, but like they, it was this crazy thing where like if Renee clucked loud, like, so she's, I'm up on this ridge, gobbler's down to my left, Renee's down to my right. And if she clucked loud, he would turn 180 degrees and gobble away from her and sound like he was two miles away. And if she clucked quiet, he would turn around and gobble straight at her, like just as loud as loud could be. And they did this working him around this swamp and up over this ridge for, I mean, it was amazing. It was so amazing. And I did not get that gobbler and um, I'm actually okay with it. Cause like, Whatever that guy is, I hope that he found a ton of hens. Because that's the kind of bird I'm looking <laughs> did, for next time. Did you have any decoys out? No. Hmm. No. We were running and gunning. And so we had like, we'd talked to a bird, a couple birds earlier in the day, struck a couple toms, you know, but weren't having any luck. And we were kind of just standing there and she clucked and he gobbled like, oh, 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 like right. And she's like, get down. So like I dropped in this like little spot of cover and she got behind me and she started clucking and he came out on the other side of this little like swamp thing. I swear to God, Travis, that bird's fan was six feet across. And I <laughs> thought I was making that up in my, I'm not, uh, no, seriously. By next year, it's going to be 10 probably. Dude. So I will tell you that sounds like a tall tale, but after the whole thing ended, I took Renee back and I was like, Renee, he came between those two trees over there and he brushed both of them with his fan. And she was like, that is six feet across. Like he, we went over and looked at the spot that he came out of the forest on the other side of this little swamp. And he was massive. Sorry, F-bomb. Anyhow, beat me. But it was crazy. It was so amazing. So I did, that was my 11th state of hunting. But wow. for uplands, well, can I, I, was, can I yeah. tell you my limited turkey knowledge? <laughs> this is something that I know. Yeah. 
<laughs> in the turkey world, when a hen, you know, she, mm-hmm. when a tom hears that, he gobbles, and it's the hen's job to go to the tom. That in the yeah. natural world, that's that's how it works. So he's gobbling. If she's if Renee's calling quietly, then he turns and he's like, "I'm right here. Get over here." Yeah. And if it's loud, yeah. then he's turning to say, "I'm going this way, and you're coming with." Yeah. So when I put yeah. a decoy out, I use uh, a hen sitting on the ground, ready to be made, like the I'm ready yeah. posture. And then I put an immature Jake right on top of her. Because if a Tom sees that, the whole like, you got to come to me, hen, goes away. Because he's away. like, yeah. you're not yeah. getting her. I'm coming over there to beat the crap out of the Jake. Because obviously I'm the big guy here. Yeah. You know, and so that's well, where... I- I will try that next year because I definitely got bit by the turkey bug and I am, oh, yeah. I'm doing it again. And it was, I mean, it was fun. And then I went out a couple times by myself, like, um, and I did, I got, I got a group of hens to start coming in and like was clucking some birds. And then all I've got is a box call. And I think I was too loud. I need to get a slate or a little mouth clucker because they were coming in. I could hear him talkity, talkity, talkity. And I was like, bring your boyfriend. And <laughs> then they just bugged out when I, so it's just like to me, but I guess this is just like basic Katie Willis um, life experience is like, I just like to do stuff and okay, so I like let's to get learn. Back. And like- yeah. <laughs> let's get back to your journey though. So 10 States, where did it begin? Can, can you rattle them off? I'll just write them down here and then we can visit some of the best and worst. Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, Washington, Oregon, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona. Okay. Do it again. Okay. Montana, Montana North, North Dakota. Dakota. Yep. Washington, South. Oregon. Okay. Nebraska, Kansas, Kansas, New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah. That's 10, yeah, right? Yep. Utah is not a state that a lot of people consider an upland bird hunting state, but um, yeah, there's opportunities as- there too. Yeah. And I'll say like my friends that, um, took me out hunting in Utah, it was terrible. Nobody go, just don't go to Utah. Um, wink. So just, you know, my friends who took me, no, (laughs) it's, it's good everywhere, man. It's good everywhere. There isn't, there isn't, there isn't uh, a place I hunted that I wouldn't go again. Where's a place that if you could only go back to one of them that you would go again? Oh, that Montana sharp tail prairie. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. That, you know, I mean, a huge chunk of my hunting is, is dog work and, uh, getting to hunt in a place that you can really see the dogs working is just to me a glory to behold. And my dogs are pretty big running dogs. And then, um, uh, well, I gotta, you know who I'm talking about, but that, that Emily Spoliar's Riggins is mm-hmm. hot damn. I'll tell you. Um, that watching that dog work and being able to see them work is, I think it's just beautiful. Like I remember when I first started doing this bird dog thing and I'm super into it. And my mom was like, what are you doing? Like what in the world? Like you just, you're doing this training, you're going all these tests, blah, blah, blah. And I was trying to explain it to her. And I was like, look, mom, watching a good bird dog work is like watching the Olympics. You don't have to know anything about the sport, how it's scored, how it's graded to know when somebody is doing it to the very top of their ability, like the top of their ability. And you put a good dog on the ground. I don't care if it's a pointer, a flusher, 
you know, whatever category of dogs and they go to work and you get to watch that like supreme athleticism, inherent talent and drive come together, man, I sit back and watch that all day. Like I would Mm -hmm. watch a good dog work all day, every day. I I don't ever need to pull the trigger. Um, obviously it's fun too. And I enjoy eating birds. So it all works out for us in the end, but you know, so yeah, that, I mean, and I would put in there, like I got to hunt the Fort Pierre grasslands in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. Like talk about dances with wolves, man. You're out walking around out there and you swear you're going to step over the top of the next ridge and it's just going to be nothing but Tatanka, like Buffalo everywhere. It's beautiful. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just, and, and I think it's part of me and, and this whole thing and this journey is I love America. I love this country. I, I would love to do more international travel, but this is not the first big road trip I've taken. And this is not the first time that I have lived as a homeless person sleeping in my truck. It's the nicest I've ever done it. But, uh, I have, I could drive around the United States for the rest of my life and see a new thing every day and constantly sit in wonder. Like it, it just, there is so much out there that is just so fantastic and amazing. And I just, yeah, I, I just love it. I absolutely love it. Um, that's, that's part of the reason why I'm really grateful that my dog wants to go as far as she does every time we hunt, because I'm like her, like, I just want to see what's over the next ridge too. Yeah. You know, and my wife yeah. says, you guys are perfect for each other. And she's right because <laughs> there are times, you know, like I mentioned the Alaska episode that's airing this week. We hiked so far to get where we were going, miles and miles, hours yeah. of hiking up on top of this mountain. And I look around and I'm like, there's a chance I'm the first person that has hiked across this rock, Yeah, you know, or this yeah. part of this little ridge or whatever it might be. And yeah. who knows when somebody else might come back. It's so yeah. far out here. And that's the beauty of getting out and experiencing some of that. But for yeah. you, I've, you know, like you sent me messages a little bit ago because like Emily, she kind of opened up a little bit about what it was like. Emily Spoliar last year yeah. when we had her on the show about what it was like to go on these kind of wild adventures on your own as a woman. When other people see you out there. You know, there were times where she was uncomfortable. She just wanted to, you know, like walk right past them. No, no conversation. I'm not here alone. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, what has this been like for you, this journey, traveling across the wildest places in North America all by yourself? Well, I, I mean, I love it. I, I, it's, it's definitely, it's an interesting thing to be a woman traveling alone. And I will say that I would never do this without a dog. Um, and I had a couple of occasions this year where the, the wild hairs stood somebody up and backed them off. Um, and, and I appreciate that. Uh, and, uh, and you know, like it's, it's a terrible story to tell, but first time I tried to learn to fly, go fly fishing, I was assaulted by the guy who took me. Uh, apparently he didn't think that when I said I wanted to learn fly fishing, that that's really what I meant. Um, and so, you know, the nice thing about upland hunting is I always have a gun. Um, (laughs) but you know, it, it, it is, it's just, you know, you just have, when you're a woman traveling alone, you just have to be a little bit more aware and aware in a way that 
that I don't think a lot of men um, are cognizant of. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the thing that I that I really appreciated about that conversation. And, you know, the, the, when I first reached out for you to you about that, cause you asked Emily a question and you said, what could I as a man do to make that not so much? And I think the real thing is, um, go hunting with women and listen to what they have to say. Um, and, and understand and, and don't try to like sort of shine it off. Like, oh, well, most dudes are good or like not all bad guys are bad or whatever. Um, because it's really, it's really an interesting thing. And, um, like I was out, I was down in Arizona and, um, I love to crash banquets. Like I just love banquets. So whenever I go places, I always look to see if there's like a PFQF chuck or whatever banquet that I can go to. Mm -hmm. So I crashed this banquet banquet in Arizona. And of course, um, made some new friends. <laughs> and so, uh, as I often do, and so well, you're not very out. outgoing, so that's gotta be challenging. It's, it's so funny when I went to like, when I flew back to Minnesota for that invitational clinic and my mom dropped me off and she goes, well, go out there, try to make some new friends. I know it's hard for you. And I was like, yeah, well, it's so hard for me, <laughs> but, but like, so I made some new friends. And so I made this plan with a couple of dudes and like, let's go hunting. So we go hunting and we're out and we're cruising around and, and they asked me a few questions. You know, I've done some different like women's, um, only type stuff. And they're like, God, do women really need that kind of thing? And blah, 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 blah. Which is a pretty common question. Like, you know, why, why do, why do, why do there need to be women's only spaces? And I was like, well, and what I said is I was like, well, I hate to break it to you, but dudes say some really messed up stuff. And they're like, no, no, you know, it's kind of, you know, a little bit, you know, oh no. And I was like, no, they do. It's weird. You know, you, you know, and it makes you feel uncomfortable. So we have this, we have this whole conversation and we get down hunting and we're sitting at the back of the back of the trucks and they're sitting on the tailgate and I'm in a chair at the front of my truck talking to each other and we're having a beer and this rig pulls up and this guy, you know, rolls down the window and he's asking about camping and blah, 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 blah. And he's talking only to the two men about all these things. And he comes to find out we're quail hunting or whatever. And he turns and looks right at me and he goes, so do you like to kill then? And I was like, what? And he's like, well, do you like to kill? And I was like, well, you know, it's, you know, shooting a bird is kind of part of hunting, but there's a lot of reasons. And, and he just went on this whole thing about how like hunting ran contrary to like a woman's um, sensibility and like, where was my compassion? And it was just this really bizarre, I mean, it was just a conversation kind of the likes of which I have frequently. And I, I got super like, you know, I can get pretty sharp and, you know, I backed him down and sent him on his way. And I turned and looked at these two guys and their jaws were literally on their chests. And they were like, I cannot believe what that guy just said to you. And I was like, yep. And they're like, guys do really say messed up stuff. And I'm like, yep, they do. Were, were these hunters or non-hunters? The the two guys that I was with were hunters. But there the other two, two that, that came up in the truck, no, were they just trying just, to... It was just, it was just one other dude and he was looking for a campground. So he's not a hunter at all. But it's gotcha. like, it's that sort of thing. And so like, we do, women do need spaces to learn. And I think to, to gain the confidence to turn to a dude and say, Hey, back off, bro. Like I know what I'm doing out here. And, and then likewise, what I really need is more men that are willing to listen to that and be like, yeah, you know what? Next time I'm going to call that dude when they say weird stuff, you know? And I did. And I, I'm super fortunate. Like 
I was down, there was a spot I wanted to hunt in New Mexico where I felt uncomfortable and I was, I didn't want to be there by myself. And I had a friend that came and stayed with me so that there just would be another set of eyes around, you know? Um, and, and, and that's, that's something that like, as a woman, I have to think about that. I don't think men would have to think about where I have to be like, okay, well, I do love to camp as a like kind of boondock, but some places it's better to camp in a campground and deal with the campground because at least then there's sort of more folk around and you're a little less exposed. And, you know, and I think this is actually really interesting. I was talking to our friend, old Benny, Benny Bredigen. Um, mm-hmm. and this has become one of my favorite features about on X is it's a very empowering app because I have definitely had dudes try to intimidate me out of a spot by telling me that it's private or that the cover's not good or that sort of stuff. And I'll tell you that's what that Onyx is super empowering because you just pull it up and you're like, well, I know that I'm on public land. I know that I'm Mm -hmm. on Miha. I know I can be here. And I know there's birds going to be here because I looked at the map and I did my research. Um, you know, and so stuff like that, where I'm like, I was, I tell him that I was like, do you realize that you have like empowerment written all over your app? And he's like, no, I didn't realize that. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I mean, it really is. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do. And it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Walton's.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Walton's.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system in all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. Plus, their toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. I'm just listening, Katie, to your stories here, and it makes me think about, you know, my daughter's hopefully wanting to hunt someday too. And, you know, I just want to give them the world. I just, as a dad, I want that. I know other dads listening right now want the same for their daughters or for their wives to be able to go out or women who are listening right now saying, gosh, I want to do what Katie's doing right now. I want to go on this trip. So how did, how did you, I mean, you obviously have a lot of self-confidence. You're not afraid you're very uh, knowledgeable. Um, A lot of this has come through experience in your life that other women might not have. How do you tell them, go do it? You can do it. 
Well, you, you know, you can always start small, right? So start small and, you know, get folks to go with you is super, super helpful, but there's just no, there's no, um, there's nothing that can make up for the, for just going and doing. And, and I think that that's the, if you, if there's something you want to do, if there's something you want to accomplish in your life, you just got to go do it. And, you know, and I think, and, and I think there is, there's a lot of really great, like women's organizations out there that are really committed to, you know, to, to, to furthering women's own education. There's this great, like Washington women on the wings does this great, um, un- how to, un- it's called unstuck your truck where they like go out and stuck, stick trucks in the ditch with a bunch of ladies and then teach them how to get them out, like how to get your truck unstuck. So it's that sort of stuff where it's like, you know, start small, start with camping, like, you know, but you got it. There's a lot of parts of it, right? Like what kind of car do you drive? Like, what do your tires look like? Um, how to read a map, how to know how to, and I think that there's a lot of technologies that help with that, right? Where it's like, now you've got, so I, when I hunt by myself, um, I tell somebody where I'm going and I have definitely like been on some really sketchy roads, like after a rain and I'll send a pin, like an on X pin to like a couple buddies. And I'll be like, Hey guys, this is where I am. And I do not like what I'm about to drive into. If you don't hear from me in an hour, I need you to come get me. Like I need you to come (laughs) look for me. Um, you know, and, and stuff like that where, you know, you've got to put in those like layers of safety, but then you just got to go and do it. Um, and, and I think the, the biggest thing, what I would say to fathers and, and, and parents, you know, who, who are really wanting to, foster to like get their girls out there. I had this amazing father and he probably would have bristled at, um, at the, the, the title feminist, but I don't think I'll have ever met a man that was more of a feminist. He raised three girls. Um, my parents split when I was 11 and he ended up raising my sisters by himself and he made us change tires. He made us fix our cars. Um, he would purposefully go get us lost in the woods and then ask us to find our way back. Um, and, and he would, he put us in a lot of uncomfortable situations where he could keep an eye on us. And he basically let us fail under supervision so that, which, so that, so that we gained that confidence. Like Mm -hmm. I know I can take care of myself a better chunk of learning that I gained as I got older was how not to put myself in situations where I had to take care of myself, you know, like that sort of like, you know, where are you going? How can you, you know, make sure that you're safe. But I think that that's the biggest thing is just, um, you know, women belong and, 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 and letting them know and, and giving them the confidence. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, girls are like, well, we will smile, be nice, those sorts of things. And I'm like with my niece anymore. I'm like, I'm like, if you don't want to give a hug, don't give a hug. Like, if you don't feel like it, don't feel like it. You don't want to say hi. You don't have to say hi. Um, and, and those sorts of things, because that's like, I I don't, I don't, I don't take crap from anybody anymore. I look back at my twenties when I was like young coming up and man, I, some stuff happened that was not cool. And it was because, and, but I felt uncomfortable, but I didn't feel empowered to say anything. 
And that's what I would say to, to women out there is like, if it doesn't feel right and you want to tell someone to, for lack of a better term, fuck off, do it. Like, do it. Don't worry about being nice. Listen to your spidey sense and to it and to get to make sure that like young girls know the same thing. We're like, dude, if it doesn't feel right, it's okay to bug out. It's okay to yeah. say no thank you. Um, Katie, can like, I interrupt for just a second? I, I'm sure. really curious. I'm going to ask you a question. And then after you answer, I'm going to tell you why. Do your sisters have the same sense of adventure and confidence that you do? Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, so here's I why, mean, here's why yeah. I asked this because, um, this conversation has come up for myself and some of my friends that we all are raising kids and, and we're trying to do our very best to give our sons and daughters the confidence to go out and hunt and fish and explore the outdoor world. And we're trying to figure out if, cause like you said, you have to fail to really learn. Mm -hmm. And that's important. I have one child that's at that point. I have other friends who have children that are now at that point where we've taken them out. They have this drive. They want to be out there. Okay. Now, if they really are going to learn to care about it, they have to experience failure on their own so they can overcome it. But at what point do we put them into those situations? Because there's the argument of, okay, we don't want to push somebody out of, out of the woods because of the situations we've put them in too early. So yeah. your dad, your dad throwing you out there, obviously that worked <laughs> for you, but at the flip side, yeah. like your sisters maybe didn't take to it the same way. And do you think it was that, that way of teaching that turned them off from it or no matter what your dad did would that have turned, would they have been turned off? Um, I think we, we, my sisters and I have very different personalities. I would say that all three Willis girls, um, and anybody that knows all three Willis girls knows that there's no lack of confidence that came out of that household. Um, my sisters just weren't as into it growing up. They've gotten more into it now that they're older. Um, and so they're like, my little sister goes backpacking, um, with her daughter. Um, my older sister is, um, married to, uh, this guy this, I mean, he's awesome. My brother-in-law, I just, he's, I'm thinking about him and I'm smiling. Um, but he's like this cowboy fireman guy. And so she's doing all sorts of stuff that I never would have thought, um, that she would have done. Um, and so I think, you know, for me, I'll, I'm going to go, I'll, I'll finish this, but I want to go back one little thing. The reason that I did all that stuff with my dad is because I never wanted to not be with him. Like I'd have done anything that he did. He just, he was my, he was my best friend. Um, and, and I, there wasn't a second of my life I didn't want to spend with him. And, and so there was a particular thing there where like, I, I, I built that it was what he wanted to do. And I wanted to go there and do it with him. And so I do think that there's fundamentally, there are kids that just aren't going to be necessarily that into it. Maybe they aren't into it that into it now, but they might get more into it later. And so you just have to, um, I think you just have to expose kids and be like, this is a fun thing. And I think the biggest thing about it is, yes, you have to fail. You, you have to become comfortable with the idea of failure, but I also feel like you have to come up with multiple metrics for success, right? So, you know, if, if going out and, and getting a limit is the only way that you have a good time, you're probably not going to have that big of a time you know, that, sorry, that good of a time that frequently. And so for me, it's, you know, 
it's, it's the whole picture, like multiple avenues of satisfaction. Like, did I find a shed? Um, did I see something cool? I took a picture of a flower. Um, I, you know, I feel like every time I go out, I see something that's different. And that to me is that curiosity. So, you know, how do you cultivate in kids a curiosity for the natural world and a curiosity for experience? Because I think that that'll get you farther than anything else. Because, you know, if, if you've got like that, to me, that builds drive, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, that curious nature. And so that's what I would say to any parent that wants to take your kids out is just go out without agenda, just go out to be curious. And if you have a plan that you wanted to go do X, Y, and Z, and instead you end up throwing rocks into a Creek, dude, it's good. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it, that, that's totally fine. I would also recommend a pocket full of Jolly Ranchers. I have found that super helpful <laughs> right. with kids. Like I took right. my niece on her first, I took my niece on her first backpacking trip and I ran into these guys past us and then I ran into them later and they're like, you need a pocket full of Jolly Ranchers. And I was like, what? They're like, no one can complain when they're sucking on a candy. And, um, when I took my niece on her first trucker hunt, I had a, my, my game bag was loaded with Jolly Ranchers. And I, every time she opened her mouth, I just handed her one and we had a great time. (laughs) That is so, that is great advice. I take, I take a lot of snacks. Like my kids have been coming with since they were three and snacks dominate. I mean, we have oh, a separate yeah. backpack just for snacks, but um, it keeps them out there longer. It keeps them engaged for an opportunity of some kind that I can't yeah. predict to happen. You know, whether it's a deer walking up and sticking its nose into the blind or, <laughs> yeah. you know, seeing a grouse <laughs> on a log and, you know, getting yeah. your first shot at it. I mean, you just don't yeah. know when those things are going to happen. But, man, yeah. I'm seeing how the stories are or how those like moments are just stuck in their minds because they're reliving them. We were just up north this last weekend and I had the whole family with and we're, you know, we're picking berries, but we're also in a place where we've hunted before. And my oldest is telling stories about when the deer came out and where it happened. And he's explaining it to my wife and my wife is just listening. And I'm sitting back there just like, Oh, I love you, buddy. I'm so glad did all of that soaked into you because it soaked in for me too. And now my 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 uh, my son Cash, you know, he's ready to come up. He's like, I'm coming next year for sure. This dad already said I can come, and you know, so like these these things are just part of our of our world, and I'm I'm so grateful for him, and I'm so grateful that your dad brought you out there and yeah. gave you the confidence that he gave you because it's cool to hear your stories. And I'm thinking we could probably go on for a couple more hours telling stories here, but looking at this coming season, maybe it gives people ideas of places that they might want to try. What are you most looking forward to and where are you looking forward to hunting this year that you've never been that you're excited about? Well, um, I'll I'll, I'll get to that, but I know we're running a lot. I want to, this is, I think this is important in is, um, a lot of people have asked me like on this trip, you know, what have I, like, what have I learned and what is it, you know, where have I gotten to? And, and what I've come to really realize is that the world and life can be, can be sorted into two categories and there's the things that matter and the things that don't. And for me, what, what that has come down to is that that list of things that matter is super short. For me, it's the time I have the souls I spend it with and the wild places I get to go and the rest of the stuff that comes up. It it just isn't, you know, 
let, let that kind of wash off you um, and, and really focus on those. Because in the end, um, if everything works out as it should, your children will live without you, Travis. They will, they will spend parts of their life without you. I am quickly approaching the day that I will have lived longer without my father than I lived with him. And he was so beautiful. And I have a lifetime of stories that I can tell and, and have because of the time that he spent with me. And so that's like this, this, this trip, it, it, it continues on and I'm going to continue traveling and I am, I'm kind of rearranging my life in ways and looking at different other options and possibilities of, of things that I want to do and places that I want to go. Um, and it's, it's for the stories. It's for exactly what you just said is, you know, like I want, I want those stories. I, I want the stories for myself and I want to hear everybody else's stories. Um, because that's really like, that's what matters. It's really what matters. Um, and so, yeah, just go make stories somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so the places well, that I'm thinking about going and making stories this year, um, I'm driving to Ohio and so I'm going to hunt my way back. Um, I'm lo really looking forward to, um, going up into Pennsylvania and I've never hunted over a Springer Spaniel. And so I'm going to go meet up with some friends that have Springers and I'm going to do some rough grouse Springer action. Um, cause that sounds like a hoot. Um, I am really excited to head to the Sandhills. Um, I've heard that can be quite spectacular. And so those are the two places that I'm, that I kind of have on my list right now. But as far as what my season looks like, uh, I haven't totally got it dialed out, dialed in yet. Um, but those are, those are kind of two at the top of my list right now. Well, there's going to be a lot of stops in between, I can imagine. And <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to be an adventure that we're going to have to revisit again next year at this time or yeah, at the end of season yeah, yeah. or who knows, maybe, yeah. maybe we'll find you along the way lost on the side of the road. Oh, I will stop and help you change your tire. Dude, but you, you don't even have to. Have already, you you'll probably be the one stopping this is, to help. I mean, this this is what's funny. My dad used to, we'd be like watching TV in Montana in January, like on a Saturday, it's like blizzard. And he would mm -hmm. go and let the air out of the tire in the car and be like, girls, go change the tire if you want to go to the basketball game tonight. And um, my sisters and I could change a tire in a commercial break. Like... <laughs> That is awesome. I'm going to take some of these same. I want you to give you like the 10 best things your dad ever did to teach you. And I'm going to do the exact same thing with all of my kids, really, boys yeah. and girls. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah there's just so much it's, to learn. And I'm, yeah, uh, I know we have it. I, and, and this is, I don't want to keep going here, but like we have it so easy today. Our yeah. kids have it easier than they've ever had it before. I think anyone listening could say if they have kids that for the most part, their kids have it easier than they probably did and probably their parents, you know, and I, know. I would especially the stories, the stories I grew up listening. And I'm like, I want my yeah. kids to have to go through some of that because it builds yeah. character and man, it shapes them into awesome people too. So, yeah. See, and, and I disagree with that. I think that it's harder for kids. There's too many things that, that pull on them. There's too many things that pull them from like the experience, right? Whereas yeah. like, you know, I, I had a bike 
you know, that was the, that was my technology. Right? Like that was the extent mm-hmm. of technology's interaction with my life was a bike. Um, right. And it was a single speed, <laughs> you know? And so I do. And I think that that's like, you know, get, get, get the kids outside. And, and, and again, back to that kind of the stuff that matters, man, get back to that, get back to that storytelling, get back to that making of the stories and, um, and, and whatnot like that. So that, you know, it, it, it's, I think it's clarifying. You know, time in wilderness is clarifying. Can I challenge you? I'm going to leave you with this. You don't even have okay. to answer it. And then, then we're going to hang up. You need to write a book. There's a book and there's a book happening. Yeah, are you the serious? book in progress. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I've got projects. Uh, I'm, 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 you know, I've, I've, I've been writing for PFQF. I had an article in the QF. I'll be in the super issue. Um, and then I'm working on a book of Upland poetry. So I've got a book of Upland poetry that I'll hopefully get out. I'm working on a kid's book. And, um, my friend Chloe and I are actually, um, in August launching, uh, an online storytelling magazine. Um, so to really have a platform for the stories and, uh, and really, yeah, we're going to. We're going to have another oh, yeah. conversation then. We have to because I want to <laughs> I, mean, I want to try to help you get more people to read it and be inspired yeah. by you because it's oh. it ah yeah, that's what we're here for. Man, we didn't we didn't even talk about the quail, man. We didn't talk about hardly any birds, Travis. We did not I know. We didn't, but talk, we're, we didn't talk about anything that was really like we were supposed to talk about the birds. Let's tell you about well, all these birds, man. <laughs> We got into some pretty deep stuff, I think. And we did. We'll we have did. you back on. Will you come and join us okay. again and we'll get into the birds? But I also really we'll wanted to hear more birds. about <laughs> what 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 you're working on next because I think that's going to be cool for a lot of people. I You, you yeah. should have started that out earlier so we could have got well, into that, but we're out of time I'd- now. We're out of time. You had questions. I don't, mm-hmm. I still don't even know what like your rap superstar name is. I was totally ready for like question <laughs> and answer period. Right. Like, <laughs> Okay. We'll do it right? on the next show then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got things. I need to know that your three, your three favorite songs to play in a jukebox. I mean, like, let's get down to the business, buddy. Let's get I know, to okay, the business. So last question then you're hitting the road. First song you choose before you go hunt. Oh man. Oh man. Uh, well, I do really like me some Zeppelin. Um, and when the levee breaks is probably one of my favorite all time songs. Uh, I think it's also the perfect way to introduce, um, puppies to loud, to loud sounds. Cause that drum intro, like John Bonham, man, that guy yeah. hits or, you know, like Love that's, it. oh man. Or some Tom Petty, man. I was just yeah. listening to some Tom Petty this morning and man, that guy, he knew some stuff. All right. So, All right, Katie, yeah. we're going to have you on another show. Uh, thank you so much for <laughs> taking the time today. If people want to follow your journey, there's something new every time I open up Instagram and some animal you're talking to or some adventure that you're on <laughs> or the dogs that you have a whole bunch of puppies right now, which we didn't even get into either. I mean, you're, about, there's yeah, baby there's no lack of fat content. They can find you at Travel and Pup, all one word, T R A V L N. P-U-P. No, you know, T R. Hold on. T R A V L E N P U P. That's me. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I actually wrote that down so I said it right. Yeah. Yeah. Traveling pup, but T R A V L E N P U P. 
And uh, yeah. yeah, give me a shout out for uh, if you if you want to if you if you want ridiculous ridiculous Instagram stories of bad dogs. It's all I've got. It's just bad dogs. <laughs> There's some pretty good content there too. <laughs> all right, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. <laughs>